hey, I'm excited to uh, really get into this message today. And one thing that I, I heard from my friend Tim this past week is he actually downloaded the app and got the notes that are more than what you see in the bulletin. And it's got all the scripture, it's got all the references, even some bonus scripture that most likely I'll skip over, but might give you reference as you look at the passages that we're in for the day. Dang. I believe one of the most trustworthy signs that the presence of God is in your life is joy. And that doesn't mean that we can't be sad. If you didn't hear the message last week, watch it on YouTube, Facebook, website, the app, go listen to it. And we purposely last week chose to sit the entire message in the presence of it's okay to be sad sometimes. But when you think about Jesus, you don't think about a person who is crying and weeping all the time in sadness. You think about a person who was full of joy and occasionally was sad. And as we started to share this morning, our circumstances should not be what determines our joy. It may impact our happiness, but not our joy. In fact, a gloomy Christian should almost be a contradiction of terms. But so many times in our world, we see that Christians are thought of in this way. Now, I think we've kind of gotten away from it, but for so many years, it was especially like clergymen were in this presence of they had to wear, you know, almost like a gravedigger outfit um, to preach from. And they would wear that and they would go stand behind this pulpit and have this very solemn feel to it. And as we look at the scriptures and who Jesus is, it seems like a contradiction. In fact, uh, one of the greatest Supreme Court justices in all the United States, um, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, if I, I would have entered the ministry if clergymen I know didn't look and act like undertakers. This great mind, imagine the sermons he could have preached. Another uh, quote that I found was Robert Louis Stevenson, the Scottish author and poet. He said, I went to church today and I was not depressed. Like he was surprised. Like today was actually a day full of joy. I don't know about you, but when I think about this idea of church and, and sanctification and being holy and all these different things, that it shouldn't be in a place uh, that makes us sad, but be a place that makes us full of joy. We reject the idea here at Rock Harbor that um, to be a follower of Christ means you can't have fun in life. In fact, we embrace the truth that Jesus says that he has come to give us life and give us life to the fullest. And through that, we, we share the very basic idea of the gospel, that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not the mediocre news. It's definitely not the bad news. It's not even the okay news. But we get the opportunity to share the good news. And through that, we can find authentic joy. Uh, William Bradley uh, Barclay um, said this, the Christian is a man or woman of joy. The Christian is the laughing cavalier of Christ. I love that. In fact, that was very impactful in our vision statement as a church. Before I get to that, um, I believe it's still on the top of your bulletin. If you look inside across the very top is a verse. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Is it still there? Across the top of the bulletin on the inside? Anybody see? I can see someone nodding their head that it's still there. In fact, if you guys would just humor me and read this verse with me. Because we loved you so much, we are delighted to share with you not only the good news of God, but our lives as well. Should have made sure this translation was the same as the bulletin there. All that came together to form our vision statement that will change at time as our church, as we come together within our community and culture as a church. But this is what it's been from the beginning. 
together creating safe spaces for everyone to love, laugh, and live out the good news of Jesus. We changed the order because we weren't trying to go off the placemats we use at our dining room table, but really follow the vision that God has for us. And people say, well, what do you mean laugh? Why do we have laugh in our vision statements? Because I believe that the good news of Jesus is the most exciting thing that we have the opportunity to share with people, that we are sharing people joy. And if we can't come together and laugh and enjoy life together, regardless of the circumstances, then we're not living out that presence that Christ died on the cross for us to have. And so that's why that's our vision statement that's brought us together. You see, a joyful believer, I believe, is a beautiful believer. I know some guys don't want to be called beautiful, but when you're a beautiful believer, it's attractive. When you see something beautiful, you tend to want to be around it. And it's absolutely what I believe God calls us to be as beautiful believers. That someone wants to come up to you and say, I want what you're having. I want to experience what you've experienced. What's different about you? You're not handling this the same way as other people. A joyful Christian is, in fact, a good representation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah is one of my favorite. We've, we've already done this as a church, and I love the book of Nehemiah. So give me two more years. We'll do it again because it's my favorite book in the Old Testament. And as you go through the story of Nehemiah, they go through this moment where the people are really broken down. They're trying to rebuild the walls, and they're trying to rebuild this effort to, to get Jerusalem back to the way that their, their ancestors knew it to be. And when they're discouraged and sad, he said to them, don't be dejected or do not grieve and be sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I 100% believe in that statement. I have seen the joy of the Lord be strength for people in the most difficult days of their life. I've seen the joy of the Lord be there when the most beautiful days happen, when new children come into this world. We know that they weren't formed out of accidents but they were formed on purpose by a God who knows them and has loved them since the time they were conceived. And we know the joy that God has in all of these occasions. So as we finish this series of emotions, let's look back just a little bit at where we've been. Week one, we said, where is God when you hurt? And we talked about as a church, we want to be people who don't draw lines to keep people out, but we want to bring people in. And that nothing is going to keep God from pursuing and loving you even when you're hurting. We too, we talked about finding relief from anxiety. And we said anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is a signal alerting you that it's probably time to pray and look at things in your life very carefully. And if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Week three, we said the emotion of that we're going to be angry, but we're going to be angry like Jesus was angry again. Anger is not a sin, or Jesus couldn't have been angry, but no, he was human too. So he felt that emotion in his flesh. Our goal is not just to be right, but our goal is to be loving. I'm so glad that in a cancel culture that we have a God that cancels our sin but didn't cancel us. Last week was the message, it's okay to be sad sometimes. It's not in your head, it's a real emotion we, we went against the facts that people say that Christians can't be depressed. Depression means that you have little faith. We said that's not true. It's okay to be sad sometime. Jesus was sad when we didn't let him be God. Perhaps frustrated when the disciples just didn't get what he was trying to tell them. And how are we going to handle our sadness? Well, we're going to replace 
our thoughts with his truth. We're going to place ourselves with Jesus. And most importantly, perhaps, we're going to replace our past by knowing what our future can be in Jesus Christ. If you missed any of those, guess where you can find them? On the app. That's right. They're going to be on the app. Jesus was sad, mad, glad, confused, anxious. He experienced all of our human emotions. But I think when we think of Jesus most often, we should think of Jesus with a smile on his face. I try and tell people, especially that I work with here at the church, um, if you ever receive a text from me, assume that I'm smiling on the other side. Um, because sometimes I, I say things very directly, and, and I'm not trying to be mean. I just I don't waste time, and so I say things very directly. But assume that I'm smiling. If not, I'll find a time to talk to you probably in person if it's a more difficult situation. And I think as we read scriptures, more often than not, we need to see that Jesus is on the other side of this text smiling over us, even in the most corrective parts of scripture. Though scripture nowhere speaks explicitly of Jesus laughing, there are times that perhaps he's being more humorous than we realize. I'm not sure if he's telling a joke, but when he first said the words about removing a splinter from your eye when you're, from your neighbor's eye when you're worrying about the plank coming out of yours, there was humor behind that. When he referenced that the Pharisees were so, worn, so worried about straining a gnat out of their drink, yet swallowing a camel, he was being a little humorous. When he said it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, he was being humorous. Just imagine the illustration he was truly trying to picture for people when he said, you're like the blind leading the blind. There was humor in much of what Jesus said, but yet when we read it in formal church settings, we, we take that away. If you don't read the disciples' passages and laugh at most of them, when they're all worried about where Jesus got his sandwich from, and he's like, no, I'm talking about the bread of life. It's humorous, and we can laugh at much of what's in the Scripture, not laugh at it, but laugh with it in the humor that it is. In point in fact, the New Testament indicates that Christ rejoiced on several occasions. He maybe didn't get recorded as laughing, but he was recorded as rejoicing. So we're going to talk about joy like Jesus. If you have the notes in the bulletin or the app, you can follow along. Jesus found joy in saving people. I just had to start there. You think about the lost sheep. It says, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which is lost. Jesus found great joy in things that were lost from God and found their way back to God. The same parables uh, in the same Luke 15 of the lost coin, the prodigal son, the huge party that takes place. He uses wedding banquets to illustrate the joy that he has when anyone that is far from God decides to come back and be in fellowship with his Father. Jesus found joy in others praying and healing uh, others in his name. When the 72 return in Luke 10, you see this place that Jesus found great joy and rejoiced because other people were doing his work without him. You can imagine he was doing so much and finally he sends others out to pray for people. So how can we bring joy to Jesus? We bring joy to Jesus by returning to him. We bring joy to Jesus by telling other people about him. If you ever hear me tell you to invite people to something we're doing at Rock Harbor, it is not to increase our attendance or increase our name. It's to bring joy to Jesus. And that's my job is to encourage us all to do that. That all of us have the opportunity this week 
to put a smile on Jesus' face, to make him look down and be glad and rejoice because we are sharing the gospel with other people. We are sharing the good news. We're telling people about the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. The next thing, if you're taking notes, is Jesus found joy in strengthening the faith of his friends. Now, this one's a little hard sometimes to even understand. That in John 11, that Jesus Christ was glad and rejoiced that his followers had the opportunity of seizing Lazarus be raised from the dead. Even though perhaps he could have stopped that from happening. In fact, we know he could have just by seeing the word without even physically traveling there. As we see with the Roman centurion. But he rejoiced in seeing their faith strengthened. It's a way that we see that God finds joy through Jesus Christ. It's interesting that these emotions that, that God has, that in that John 11 passage, he weeps over the death of Lazarus while rejoicing by the strengthening of other people's faith. That he had emotions that just like us, in one day can go from one extreme to another. As we dig into this message, we ask this question, how can we find joy? I'm going to actually continue this message from a different perspective. Yes, Jesus had joy. But I think it's hard for us sometimes to try and connect with where Jesus had joy because he was a son of man and he was a son of God. It kind of seems like he's cheating a little bit on like having the joy thing. The fruits of the Spirit were so alive in him, he never sinned. I mean, just an amazing thing. So this week, as I've just been really trying to ask, God, what message is it that you want for Rock Harbor? And we're going to look at this from the perspective of some of the New Testament leaders like Paul and Timothy and see how they dealt with joy in situations that we maybe can relate to a little bit more. Now, I've said this many times, but as we're in this message, I've got to say it again. There's a difference between happiness and joy, and I've been speaking of that all morning. Happiness is a dynamic perspective. Uh, I, I'm a website guy, and so I think about a dynamic website that changes based upon the inputs coming into it compared to a static website that's just constant. Our happiness in our life can be dynamic. The events that are happening can impact the happiness that we have. Our joy in Christ can be static, that it's consistent and fixed in every circumstance that we have. So we say this often, if you're taking notes, happiness depends on our happenings. But I'm going to break something new that I learned this week, and that is that I didn't know the word hap was actually a more common word used a uh, hundred some years ago in our country. And that a hap was a, something that was referred to as a chance, that we would have a happenstance, maybe you've heard. And that our hap, and the word happening comes from this term of chance events that happen in your life. It's a chance. You may catch the fish that you've been trying to catch. You may finally find that deer that I know Billy's out trying to find right now. You know, you, your team maybe won yesterday or maybe your team didn't win yesterday. For me, Michigan lost to Michigan State and Ohio State beat Penn State about as good as it gets for me, so it was a good day. For some of you here, you know, there were some rougher days out there. You know, and that's our happiness. It can get fluctuated from a team winning to a team losing. From a person you love saying something that is very hurtful to having situations with your job, relationships, health all real haps in your life that increase our, happi our, our happiness. It's, it comes down to chance. Joy comes from our Savior. Joy 
comes from Jesus. Our happiness comes from our happenings. Our joy comes from Jesus. It's a fix constant in our life. So to help us understand this, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit continued to work through Paul. We're going to look at Philippians 1 and just a couple verses. So if you have your Bibles um, or your phone or whatever you're using, um, just look at Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at these first few verses. When you understand how the church of Philippi started, the conditions that Paul, the author of this book, was under when he wrote them, the conditions of how the church of Philippi started, you can see that there is perhaps very little happiness in any of these circumstances. His chances, his happenstance, was very difficult this entire time. It was penned around 62 AD. In fact, most of the New Testament was because Paul had a lot of time on his hands. He was chained to Roman soldiers, but they allowed him to write. And so we get so much of the New Testament from this time. Uh, we see that he was in this Roman prison, but how did he get there? Well, he'd been in Jerusalem. Again, he was falsely accused and arrested. He was taken to a place that I speak of often because it's very similar to Melbourne Beach, Caesarea, a little beach town with good surfing. He stood before several trials, and this went on for two years that it went through. Finally, as a Roman citizen, he said the words he was able to say, I appeal my case before Caesar. At that point, after two years of trials with no conclusion, the people there said, gladly, you can appeal to Caesar, so to Caesar you will go. So Paul was put eventually on a ship that was going to Rome. If you know the story, the ship sunk. Another ship was afforded to him. He got bit by a snake at one point. And finally, he makes his place to Rome, where he's in jail, and he writes this letter to us. Now, Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. He had always wanted to go there. You hear in his writings, if I could preach in Rome, if I could preach in Rome, I think, however, he was envisioning himself preaching maybe in the middle of a courtyard, maybe on tops of the, uh, the stairs to a synagogue, something besides writing inside a jail cell. He expected to go to Rome. He didn't expect there to go there as a prisoner. He wanted to go as a preacher. Now, Paul knows as a prisoner, his case is going to go before Caesar Nero, who is by no means ever kind to any Christian in his uh, presence. He didn't know exactly which way he would fall as a Roman citizen. He knew that he would either be acquitted or he would be beheaded. That was typically the two choices that was coming before him. That's the circumstance that he writes this letter in. However, running through this fabric of all that knowledge, we see this unmistakable quality of joy in all that Paul writes from this prison cell. Joy in every portion of the letters he writes, but especially the one of Philippians. This week, I was just kind of going through um, a program my computer gives me access to all kinds of books, and, and I was looking at Philippians, the titles were How to Be Happy in Difficult Situations. Philippians, the believer's joy in Christ. Philippians, life at its best. Uh, I, I like to quote uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he wrote a book called The Life of Peace and Joy. Swindle wrote a book called Laugh Again that I've, I've read often, and I love just seeing what he has to say there. If you feel like when this message gets done, you're continuing to struggle with this idea of joy, I hope this sermon sets up the circumstances of this book and that you begin to read the rest of the story on Philippians and think of the context that it was written from 
and allow the joy that is spoken of. Someone count it for me. I think it was 14 times in that book you find the word joy, and it's only a few chapters. It's a wonderful place to see what God is doing. A long time ago in America, it was said that a country boy said these words. I feel better now when I feel sad than I used to when I felt good now that I know Jesus. Think about that. If you want to have joy, the hardest times you can have in life are better when you have Jesus than the best of times life can offer if you don't have Jesus. If you want to have joy, master these principles and we can see joy in our life. Let's look here at Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be wondering how we're going to get a message out of these verses, but the message is in the story, the story of how this comes together. You wouldn't have associated the emotions of joy and peace with a person of Paul before Christ. You see, before meeting Christ, Paul, who was also known as Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus was very religious, exacting, narrow-minded, a legalistic Pharisee. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he describes himself as this from the New Living Translation. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin and a, re, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one, he had all of the credentials needed. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, he says, I obeyed the law without fault. Doesn't sound like a lot of joy. Sounds like a lot of rules. Maybe a reason why joy has been hard for you is because you've gotten that flavor of Christianity in your past. That it was more focused on the rules than on the relationship with Jesus Christ and the freedom of Christ that he came to die on the cross for us to have. In Acts chapter 9, Luke the author says this about Saul. Um, Saul breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of our Lord. Do you get that harsh language? And Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging out both men and women into the streets. The word havoc was a word that was often used to describe the um, behavior of a wild animal. That was the word that was being described of Paul. So what happened? How did he go from a person all about the rules, dragging men and women like a wild animal into the streets, breathing out murderous thoughts and words? The difference was simple. The difference was Jesus. He met Jesus on the road. And when Jesus came into his life, and he gets literally knocked off his horse and blinded by the light, and he comes to see who Jesus is, Jesus begins this journey. Now, what I think is amazing is, as you read all the letters that Paul writes, the very first letter is not as filled with joy as perhaps the last one he wrote in Philippians. That this process of joy even though there's an occurrence, and maybe you've experienced this, that day that you accept Christ in your life, or maybe you've been there with someone who's accepted Christ in their life, and it's like for three days they can't stop smiling, 
and you see the joy of the Lord on their life, when the sins of their lives have been taken off of them and put on Christ and crucified, and they feel that freedom in Christ, and they feel the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, and it's absolutely amazing. In fact, I try to do what the Bible does and just tell them to go tell everyone they know about Jesus. Because those first three days, when they've not been taught any classes on theology, they do the best job of preaching the good news of Jesus. Because they're sharing about their experience. But then all of a sudden, their happenstance come back. And all of a sudden, they realize, man, as a Christian, my boss can really be difficult still. Man, even as a Christian, my relationships, I, I change, but I don't think they've changed. And all of a sudden, our flesh begins to battle, and we struggle with that joy again. And we see that Saul, he struggles with this joy. He struggles with his circumstance because things don't go according to his plans. E. Stanley Jones was a missionary to India who wrote some great works. He said, when I met Jesus Christ, I felt like I had swallowed sunshine. I love that. I love that. Paul, how do you feel? Well, now I feel like I've swallowed some sunshine. He was different. He was changed. The joy began to grow on him, but yet he goes through his missionary journeys. In Acts 13, it says this, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing. I think we can understand that in our society. There's groups of women that are very well connected and kind of make things work around the schools and around the different areas around us. The women of high standing, the leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them from their district. But listen to this next part. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Wait, for getting kicked out of town, for having people tell lies about them, for having people say things that weren't true and spread gossip and rumors, discrediting their character. They had joy and happiness in those moments. Why is that? Because they knew who they were and they knew whom they were. And I think some of us need to listen to these verses in 51 and 52. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them. Maybe there's some dust that you've been carrying with you. Jesus says this to the 72, go and share the message. And if they don't listen to it, shake the dust off and, and move on. Maybe there's things that we're carrying with us that Jesus is saying that's not for you to carry. Stop carrying that with you. Step into whom you are and whose you are. You're my child. I love you just the way that she loves her baby brother, just the way that she loves her dog, that I love you unconditionally. And that's who you are. So what they say about you, shake it off and take it with you and go someplace else. See, their joy, this emotion they had was tethered to something different, not the fluctuating up and down of worldly happiness, but the static joy of Christ. God changes Saul to become Paul. C.S. Lewis says that joy is the serious business of heaven. And Paul started to really get it and understand it and understand what this means for God with him. Let me get down to uh, filling some blanks here. We see back verse 1, Paul and Timothy. What's that next word in verse 1? Paul and Timothy, they are bondservants with Christ. They were bondservants with Christ. 
They were connected with Christ. Now we hear the word servant there, and we know kind of the idea of being a servant, and in some ways this is even being a slave to another person. But what's so interesting in the New Testament is every single time that word is used, it's always in reference to a voluntary person who's choosing to follow someone else, choosing to have someone else lead them in their life. They decided that they were going to serve the, were, the, serve the Lord together. You say, how do you get from, you know, being happy to finding joy? And I think a simple answer can be when you decide to be a bondservant to Jesus. Jesus, I want what you want in my life, not what I want, but what you want. See, this is the secret to finding joy because joy is a funny thing. Watching the news will show you that fame and fortune is not a guarantee to joy. In fact, my wife prays many times that her kids would not have fame or fortune um, to an extremely high degree because she's seen how destructive it can be. I'm half joking there. There is some truth to that. It may be different. But if you want to have that joy, choose to follow Christ. You can have everything that other peoples will bring to you. Everything the joy that the world says they have to offer. But true joy is not a byproduct about what others say about you. Now here's the fill in the blank. Thank you. Joy is never found by direct pursuit. That's what I found in scripture this week that I think is different. This is the truth that I feel like God told me to bring to the church this week. Joy is never found by direct pursuit. It is a byproduct. You see, we have a world who says, if you want joy, uh, we got a few friends there today. Go down to Fort Lauderdale to the boat show. You get the right boat and you'll have the right joy. But I always hear people say, what are the two best days for a boat? The day that you buy it and the day that you, that's right, the day that you sell it. You find all these things. Well, if you have this marriage, if you have this relationship, if you have this, you guys know the list. I'm not going to waste our time. We can pursue this direct thing of I'm going to go make joy. I'm going to make enough money to get joy. I'm going to be good enough to get joy. I'm going to follow enough rules to get joy. I'm going to go through this entire process. Uh, you know, the founding of our country, the Declaration of Independence says you are guaranteed what? Life, liberty, and what's the next part? The pursuit of happiness. You see, you can't guarantee it. It's not given to you, but we have the pursuit of it. Then why do they say right now that two out of every three Americans are unhappy in the world and the culture that has more than any culture has ever had in the history of humankind? Two-thirds report right now that they are unhappy because they're looking for happiness, but they're not finding it. You see, as we try and define this as joy is not found through direct pursuit, it's a byproduct of pursuing Christ and His will. As long as you live for yourself and try to find peace and happiness and joy for yourself, you'll never find it. You'll be miserable. You'll be hard to live with. And when you turn yourself over to God's will, be his bondservant, you take over your life and your life and you live for him. And then you find joy. See, the more you do as you please, the less you will be pleased at what you do. But when you say, forget me, same place we were last week, 
I want to serve Jesus. I want to be a bondservant to Jesus. The byproduct is that static joy in every circumstance that happiness can never give you. Now, did you know that Paul never wanted to go to Philippi? If you were to talk to Paul and say, Paul, where is it you want to go? He would have said, oh, well, you know, I want to get to Rome. You know, I'd like to go preach in, in, in Rome. I'd like to go here. I want to go there. He never wanted to go to Philippi. In fact, as he was traveling around Asia Minor, he couldn't figure out where to go. Paul, who knew the Holy Spirit probably more than anybody who would appear in Scripture, who wrote most of the New Testament. All right, Paul, man, you've been a great church planner. You've done church plants all over Israel. You've done them all over Asia Minor. Where's next? His answer would have been, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know what God wants for you next? Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little lost right now. Paul, lost. And then one day he had a dream of a person from Macedonia saying, come. He said, okay, I think I'm supposed to go to Macedonia. That's where Philippi is located. He goes there expecting that he was called by God to do a great work. And he gets there and he finds out there's not a single Jewish temple in the entire land because you have to have at least 10 men in a town in order to have a synagogue. So there's no temple there. So there's no synagogue for him to preach from. That was kind of his typical thing. He would go find the Jewish people, go to their synagogue because he had been a rabbi, because he was a Roman citizen, he would go speak in the synagogue. And he would share, hey, you waiting for the Messiah? Guess what? I've met him. He's Jesus. People would come to the Lord. He gets there. There's no place for him to go. He's lost. He goes down to the river to get some water. There's one woman down at the river. And he goes, hey, can I, can I talk to you? And that one woman... Her heart is opened up, Scripture says, and she receives the word of the Lord. People find out that he's preaching the good news of Jesus, and guess where he ends up that night? In jail. The joke is, Paul would arrive in a town, and when he would get there, he would say, hey, before I do anything else, can you show me where the jail is? Yeah, it's right down the street to the left. Good, I just want to know where I was going to sleep tonight. He ends up in jail that night. He's like, man... I didn't even want to be here, but I felt like God called me here. I felt like this is where God wanted me to be. And we all know that as Christians, if we follow what God wants, we're supposed to have all these blessings and new cars and checks in the mail and all these things, right? And he's like, so I'm doing this and I'm following God's will. And I get here, there's not even a synagogue. I preached to one woman at the uh, river. Yeah, she accepted Jesus, but come on. I'm like the world's most famous evangelist. He ends up in a prison and he reaches a jailer shares the gospel with him as an entire family comes to the Lord. You see, it wasn't his plan. It wasn't where he wanted to go. And what's so interesting about this is the resistance that Paul was feeling when he was lost. Where do you think the resistance was coming from? Was it coming from the devil? The demons? It's Halloween from the ghouls, I don't know. Was it coming from the Jewish people? The Pharisees? The Romans? No, the Bible tells us exactly where it was coming from. Acts 16. When they had gone through Phygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. He wanted to go east and preach towards Asia. And the person who stood in his way was the Spirit of God. And I think that's part of why we lose joy. It's because we're expecting God to do what we want instead of letting God be God and do what he wants. And do you remember what brings Jesus sadness? When we try and be God. 
and decide what we want. So all of a sudden, do you see how this all comes together? If you are stuck in sadness, perhaps it's because you're making Jesus sad with you and you're trying to pray even, God, give me this, give me this. This is what I want. This is what I want. God, do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. And all of a sudden you're saying like, Kevin, I've been praying for this and praying for this and God's not answering my prayer. Yes, he is. He's saying no. And you're trying to force your will and you're saying, yeah, well, I want this person to forgive me. That's not on you. God's asking you to forgive them and then go ahead and not use that against them. That's what God's asking of you, but you're trying to control the situation. The same thing is true for joy. When finally we see Paul who goes through all of these circumstances, all these happenstance, he ends up in a prison and writes pretty much the entire New Testament. And then he writes from a place of joy. As we fast forward through the story, we see how God uses us in this incredible way. We continue to see in the book of Philippians, you know, what God is doing, how God is working with him. Again, in verse one, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. And now watch this, what comes next. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. The place that he didn't want to go and all he got to do was preach the gospel to a woman at the river and to the jailer and his family has now become all the saints. And the reason why Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians in Philippi is because they had sent him money in a care package while he was in prison. And he hears from that letter, the church is flourishing. The good news of Jesus Christ is flourishing in that region. Many believe it was one of the largest churches that existed in that time. It flourished through one woman and a jailer and her family, jailer and his family who heard the good news of Jesus Christ. It wasn't Paul's plan. It wasn't Paul's desire. We didn't plan on being in this building three years ago. It wasn't what we wanted, but you follow God's will. Perhaps why you're in sadness and not in joy is because you're saying, God, why won't you give me what I want? And God's saying, I'm trying to give you something that's better, but I know it might be more difficult at times. Once we become bond servants with Christ, when we step into his will, here's the key. Here's the key. Of Paul's life and his joy, whatever negative experience he was facing, and I bet I'm talking to a few people who have experienced some negative circumstances these past couple of years. Whatever negative experience Paul was overcoming, he was looking to see how God was working. And he followed Christ as a bond servant. That's how we're going to find joy. That's how we're going to see Christ make a difference in our lives. Listen, when life happens unexpectedly, God is moving supernaturally. Look for it. Look to see where God's moving, even in the difficult circumstances. And that's how we can find joy in those circumstances. If I can invite the worship team to come up. James wrote this, a bondservant of God. You see, they kind of figured out the truth together there, huh? James, a bondservant of God to the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes. My brother, and count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The, the King James Version says diverse trials. Count it all joy, even when things go completely opposite of your plans. Even when you hit the most dirt, difficult days of your life, consider it all joy when the economy is struggling, when you're facing persecution, when the health of your family is in question, when your marriage is struggling, when you're, 
failing with temptation, all the situations you're going through, count it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. He's not testing you just to make your life difficult. That you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. See, that's where we can find joy. Not when we're pursuing it, but when it's a byproduct of us pursuing Christ. Maybe right now you feel like life is hard because you're failing, you feel like between the temptations and the trials that God has in your life. Perhaps it's because when a temptation comes in your life, the Bible tells us that we must resist it. When a trial comes into our life, sometimes we must accept it. And maybe you're not seen in the right way. What's happening is you are accepting the temptation while resisting the trial. When you come into that and say, God, I want to follow you. Make me be your bondservant. I want to connect myself with you so that whatever happens to me this week, I'm living within your will. That's where we can find this joy that is everlasting. Church, would you pray with me? God, as we just think about this question, what are we pursuing this week? What did we pursue last week? Were we trying to manufacture happiness in our life? Or God, were we pursuing you? God, I know so much these past number of years, having gone according to my plans, But God, I love just watching you use them for your purpose. Father, I thank you that we have this word of God that we can dig into. That Jesus Christ was a man who experienced our emotions. And we can relate to Paul and Timothy and James. In our diverse trials, our temptations, that God, we know that you are with us in all of it. God, I pray this week that we can pursue you and your will in all that we do. And as we pursue you, the byproduct can be everlasting joy. God, I think about Saul who became Paul. Maybe there's someone here who needs to be changed because they've never surrendered to you. They need to accept you. God, maybe there's someone here who is facing obstacle after obstacle. We know that Paul was writing from jail saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. God, this is an experience everyone can have who's a believer. It's sad though how many of us continue to know this truth and continue to pursue happiness on our own. God, I pray that this week that we choose joy by choosing you. God, for those that are hurting, that are feeling pain, God, I pray that they would just put you first in their life. God, for anyone here who is hearing this message and saying, I don't know if I've ever had that joy. Perhaps it's because you've continued to even attend church, even read the Bible, listen to worship music, but you've kept yourself on the throne. You've never gotten out of that seat and said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. 
I want to connect myself to you as a bond servant, following you every single day. If that's you, make that decision right now to put Jesus first. And a way that we can do that, the Bible tells us to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let's declare that right now. Just say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I admit to you that I have sinned against you, but I believe on the cross. You forgave me for my sins. I commit my life to you because you've already given me yours. With head bows and eyes closed, if someone here has said that prayer today, and today you want to declare that I want to put God on the throne of my life, just raise your hand so I can pray with you. Bless you. Thank you. For all of us here, just receive the prayer of the word of God, that God is with you in your circumstance. He's with you in your happenstance. He cares for the pain that you're going through. He cares and weeps when you weep. He loves you. Church, let's stand and let's continue to worship him together. the world but it couldn't fill me man's empty praise and treasures that fade never enough and you came along
church we love you so much y'all have a great week thank you have a wonderful week go in his joy and in his strength